The first line of our Old Testament reading today. Why have we fasted and you not see it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? In the name of Jesus, amen. Please be seated. Uh, Andre Agassi. Uh, you've heard of him, I imagine. Many of you have. Uh, during his professional uh, tennis career, ran about 1986 to 2006, uh, he, was, he was probably the, the greatest player, at least one of the greatest players during, during that time. In that period, he won over 60 uh, professional singles matches, including eight Grand Slams, I think four Australian Opens, uh, before the, the hometown crowd in Atlanta in 1996. He won the, the gold medal. Quite something, this Andre Agassi. You may have, you may have known that. Uh, something you may be less familiar with is the fact that Andre Agassi hated playing tennis. Uh, you don't have to get too far into his uh, 2009 autobiography, Open, uh, to realize that the game that he was the greatest to play, or one of the greatest, uh, was a game he hated. The book gets into the, the nitty-gritty and the follow, fallout of it, but in a nutshell, uh, Agassi hated the game because for him, it was never really a game at all. Tennis was, for Agassi, the means to purchase the approval of his father, Mike Agassi, been a, a pretty good boxer at one time, but, but never really made it big. Uh, the means to purchase an approval he never quite got, no matter how hard he worked. He talks about this in the book. How even as a kid, maybe eight years old, he'd be working as hard as he could, and he'd ask for a little break, but he never got it. Just a bullying bark from his dad, hit it harder. And, and older Agassi writes, sadly, about how he came to internalize his father's impatience, perfectionism, and rage so much that he heard his father's torturing voice long after his father was out of the picture. Perfect tennis, he told himself. Perfect tennis is how you purchase approval and what makes you matter. And not just from dad, he eventually put into his head, but from everybody else. And so he hated it. He was literally the best tennis player, the best person on the planet at what he did. But because it became the means for purchasing what should not have come at a price, he hated it. Andre Agassi hated tennis. We'll get back to that. I'm not positive, but as far as I know, there were not a whole lot of tennis courts seven and a half centuries before Christ, when the prophet Isaiah lived and preached. And I'm almost as positive that there were not many more tennis courts by two or 300 years later, which seems to be about the time to which Isaiah's words by the power of the Holy Spirit were directed, the words that served as our Old Testament lesson from Isaiah chapter 58. If you're a little bit sketchy on your Bible timeline history, this is a time after the Israelites, at least some of them, many of them, 
had made their way back to the land of Israel after spending uh, many decades in exile in Babylon. And they're supposed to be doing things like rebuilding the, the temple in Jerusalem and the walls around it, putting back together the social and re- religious life of their world. And well, without getting too much into it, you can read Ezra and Nehemiah, some of the other prophets for that info. Without getting too much into it, things could have been a lot better. And a lot of folks were none too pleased that God did not seem to be doing anything about it, to be taking any notice at all, especially, and this is the bit we get in that question, especially they were flummoxed to why God wasn't doing anything, especially since they were so good at fasting and doing other aspects of the perfect religious life. Hence that first line of our Old Testament reading, why have we fasted and you see it not? It's the people talking to God. Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it. Now, if you're still trying to figure out what in the world that could possibly have to do with Andre Agassi, his dad, and tennis, uh, I'll get to that. And it's not made a whole lot easier by God's kind of snarky response here, which is kind of snarky, I think. Uh, where God responds, he says, fasting, fasting, all that fasting does is make you hungry. And when you get hungry, you get ornery. I can relate to that. <laughs> and when you get ornery, You get grouchy and you're mean to the people who have no choice but to put up with you. I can relate to that or better my family can relate to that as well. Maybe you think the same. And so God says, hey, instead of your fasting, how about you have a sandwich, maybe a Snickers, and and, and give your overwork workers a break, uh, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and shelter the homeless. Why don't you try that for a while? And if you think about it just for a second, the fact that they were in a place to give workers a break means they had jobs. That they could feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and shelter the homeless means they had clothes, food, and shelter, which perhaps means it wasn't so bad as they thought it was in the first place and maybe God had seen them. But that's not, that's not the thing I really wanted to focus in on because I don't think it's the root problem. The root problem's in that question. You've got to look a little bit closely, but once you see it, I think you, you can't miss it. You see, whenever we, we come across a question in the Bible, you always have to look at the premises of this question. What are the assumptions behind this question that make it work? It's always true, and I do this in sermons all the time when people bring Jesus a question, but it's always the case, almost always anyway, with questions in the Bible. And so we have to examine the assumptions of this question, uh, why have we fasted and you see it not? And I think we'll see something. To help you out, now we're finally getting to the tennis player. To help you out, instead of as a question from ancient Israelites to God, let me put it in terms of an eight-year-old Andre Agassi to his dad. It'd be something like this. Why have I hit a perfect serve and you did not hug me? Why have I mastered the backhand and you do not love me? You see, that would be the kind of question asked by a young Andre convinced he has to purchase his dad's love and affection with perfect tennis. Now hear the Israelites' question. Why have we fasted and you see it not? That's the kind of question asked by a people who, however bad things had gotten, have concluded that good fasting or perfect religious performance, that that's how you purchase God's concern 
and God's love? And that is a horrible question. It's a horribly sad question. I mean, your mind went there probably anyway, uh, immediately with, with Agassiz's story and his question. How sad that he had a father whose affection he thought he had to purchase so much it made him hate tennis. And it's even more horrible, more horribly sad to think such of your heavenly father. Heck, it's, it's horribly sad to think of that in any of the relationships you live or might think about. In fact, to help this sink in a little bit, we might try a little, a thought experiment. Take a moment to think about. Think what is the most taxing, exhausting, dysfunctional relationship you are involved in right now, or maybe one in the past. Got it? I can almost guarantee it is one based on purchasing affection, doing to get, Trading and transacting, probably not fasting, but favors and obedience, checking some boxes in order to get your attaboys and girls. And it's taxing. I know it is. It's taxing because no matter how hard you hit, you know there's always coming a hit harder. It's exhausting because you're never sure if today's enough will be enough for tomorrow. And it's dysfunctional, I bet. This is always weasels its way in there, too. It's dysfunctional, I bet, Because if you're in that relationship, you always feel as if you're in competition with someone else to get the best favors and check the most boxes. That relationship stinks. All right, try this one on for size. Now, on the other hand, think of what relationship, past, present, or maybe even have to imagine a future one. What relationship has given you the most joy that you can just relax in? Maybe you have to think back to a loving grandparent or a a great teacher or or coach. A relationship which instead of exhausting you, invigorated you, reinvigorated you. You know what was not present in that relationship? Transactions, trading, and purchasing. I'm not a mind reader, but I'm sure of it. Oh, there was lots of giving and receiving in that relationship. There always is in any. But the two never got tied together. The giving was never premised on a prior receiving. And the receiving not expected because of some prior giving. Isn't that a wonderful relationship? You should be smiling if you have one. Or you would be if you actually had it. What what, what Andre Agassi would have done, would have given for such a father. To be simply loved before he hit a serve or any backhands. Regardless of anything he could do or, or leave undone. Before any of that came at all. To simply be loved. Not because of any of that stuff. Because he just had a dad who was somehow just fond of him. I'm going to make a guess. I asked you a moment ago to think of two different kinds of relationships. I'm guessing the first one was easier to think of. It was easier to come up with an example of the tiring, exhausting, dysfunctional kind. Because the other kind, which you can just relax and be reinvigorated, those are pretty rare. Actually, as an aside, if that person came to your mind quickly and you have people like that, you should thank them for it today because they are very rare. And it's my fault that they're rare. And it's yours too. Because it turns out we've all got this deep streak of ancient Israelite and Mike Agassiz running through our hearts 
that sees purchasing affection and transacting love as the same of the game, name of the game. In other words, and this is, this is the tragic part of it, turns out that the very same people who long to be on the receiving end of the purchase-free, invigorating love, you and me, are the very same people who are very bad at being on the giving end. Hmm. I actually have not read the, the, the whole of Agassiz's book, you know, about the tennis and just the, the first part about how he's his dad and his, his hatred of tennis. And I don't know if he ever got a chance to confront his father and, and ask or tell him, you know, I always felt like I had to purchase your affection. Uh, and maybe if he had had that opportunity, maybe his dad would have been defensive or something. Um, there's a good chance it would have made his, his dad really sad. I think any could parent could say that as imperfect as any parent's love is, it would be a very saddening, heartbreaking thing to have a child come to you and until you know, I, I, I've always felt I had to purchase your affection. And so that question the Israelites asked of God, why have we fasted? And you see it not. I know a question like that breaks the heart of God. Because I know more and I know better than anything else that God's love for his children, for you, is not like Andre's dad's, mine, or any other love you will ever experience. In fact, that's the very reason, pretty much the only reason you're here today is for God to tell you that. For you and me all tangled up in our transaction-tainted relationships and purchase perverted loves to be told that there is one whose love for you is perfect. Before any serves or backhands, regardless of whether fastings or favors ever come at all, not because of anything you could possibly do or leave undone, someone, and not just someone, but the Holy One of Israel, the Lord God of heaven and earth, the God and Father of your Savior and friend, Jesus Christ, is just rather fond of you. And if you don't, you don't believe me up here in the, the white dress now, how about hearing some more words from an Old Testament prophet? Turn back a few pages in that prophecy and no more sad questions. Just listen. You think God has forgotten you because you stink at fasting or maybe you just plain stink. Isaiah 49, 15, Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands, says the Lord. Or you think the people are going to finally get sick of you because the backhands don't come, the favors aren't there, maybe you've stunk one too many times, and they're just going to toss you to the side of the road. You're fearful that maybe it has happened, but the Lord won't do that. Isaiah 54:10, for the mountains made apart. And the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. My covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, whose heart yearns for you. Finally, have you internalized, maybe you had Andre Agassi's dad. Maybe you've internalized that voice that says you're, you're never enough, that says always hit harder. And you are thirsty and hungry for a love which is perfect, but don't think you can afford it. Well, good news. Isaiah 55, 1, come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And if words, if words from an Old Testament prophet long dead don't quite do it for you, which they kind of don't in the end, 
then look to the one to whom his words pointed. Look to the one whose spirit carried Isaiah along to Jesus and him crucified for you. For the one who has purchased you, far from any idea of thinking you'd have to do anything to purchase his love before you could do a thing, he purchased you. As one of my favorite Old Testament professors like to say, he has purchased and won you not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and his innocent suffering and death that you can be his very own. Fellow purchased and fellow redeemed, internalize that. Let that good word seep into your soul. Internalize that, and you probably won't find yourself asking sad questions of God like that. In fact, you might even find yourself a little less tangled up in all those exhausting relationships I talked about before. Purchased by God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.